Remain standing, please, and let me have you take out uh, your Bibles. You know what? In fact, you may be seated. Go ahead and be seated. But take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms and to Psalm 103. As we very often do when we come to the end of the current year and look forward into the beginning of the next, we're going to look at something a little different this morning and I just rejoice in the goodness of God as we look at his word. I know that New Year's is kind of an artificial boundary. You know, there's nothing inherently special about these few days, but we're humans and we like these kind of things. We like to to look um, at, at stuff like this. this. The New Year's a good time to to seek to reflect on the path past year and a good time to seek to make a fresh start, to stop some bad habits that perhaps you had or, or picked up from the last year or maybe were left over from the year before, uh, and to develop better ones here at the start of a new year. But, you know, there's nothing really inherently monumental about moving from December 31st to January 1st. Uh, but we're going to look at something that is monumental this morning. What is monumental is the greatness of God and the, the love of God for his people, the grace of God. Uh, what is inherently special is the way that God deals with us and the joy that we as Christians can have, but should have, as we look back on the year past and look forward uh, to the new year, steeped as we are, each and every one of us, beloved, in the covenant love and the faithfulness of our great God. So let's end the, the year on a note of special joy uh, and a scriptural encouragement to that singular task which should engage our hearts and our minds uh, and not just today, but every day, that of the worship of God and the praise of our good God. And to do that, we're going to turn to, as you already have, I think, uh, one of the most well-known and for abundant and obvious reasons, we'll see one of the most beloved of the Psalms, Psalm 103. So we're going to read that Psalm this morning. So now let me have you stand as we as we read God's Word, and we do that uh, always out of reverence for the Word of God as God has given it to us. And so let us hear the Word of the Lord, Psalm 103 this morning, of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made, his ways to, uh, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's, as we get ready to look at this, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. We thank you for the encouragement of the scriptures, uh, the hope that we find therein as it reveals Christ to us. We pray, Lord, that as we uh, look today to you and to your, uh, your greatness and your grace, we pray that you would help us to um, just to bask in you, O Lord, and to rejoice in you and to worship you because of what we see here. We ask this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. And you may be seated. So Psalm 103 is a, as it mentions right at the beginning, a Psalm of David. It's a hymn, really. It is a, a, a call to praise. And it begins and it ends, you may have noticed, with an identical command. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And maybe we'll start with this. Uh, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to bless the Lord? We know what it means when God blesses us. He gives to us an abundance of his grace and he enriches us and he improves our spiritual and physical lives. He pours out goodness on us. But we can't really do that for God, can we? What can we give to him that he doesn't already have? How can we improve him? How can we bless the Lord in that way? Well, we can't. But the word here, bless, when it's used in the Bible in this direction from us to God, means to praise him, to, to speak highly of him, to worship him, to magnify him in recognition of him as the source of all good. So the psalmist is saying here, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise his holy name. And Psalm 103 is from first to last then a psalm of praise, a psalm of worship to God. And beloved, what better task could we set ourselves to as we, as we go from one year into the next 
than to do so praising God, who has given us the past year, who will give us the coming year to the degree that his will gives it to us. He may come back in this coming year. He may come back before 2024. We may not see it. But he is in control and he gives uh, good works, good gifts to his children. And so we should be praising him as we go from this year into the next. This psalm is a psalm of praise. A psalm of praise from the inside out. And, And that's where it starts in this psalm, on the inside. That's the first thing we're going to see is the praise from the inside. The psalmist writes of himself, and so he encourages us in the same way to begin there. On the inside, bless the Lord, O my soul, he says, and all that is within me. True worship, beloved, starts there. In the soul, in the the inward parts, in the heart, we would say. Praise of God begins there in our hearts. With, as we'll see, a consideration of God, of what he has done what he does. And that's the encouragement of the psalmist. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Our soul, people of God, should be engaged in praise. It is the most appropriate. It is the most beneficial, the most worshipful of activities. Praising God. Psalm 113, verse 3 says, From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And our psalmist adds here that we should be all engrossed in it. Not just on the surface, not just giving lip service to God, not just coming in here and sitting in the pews and and singing the songs and standing at the right time and sitting at the right time and giving of our offerings and things like that, not just on on the surface, but in here, in the deep places of our soul. Let us not be just partial praisers or surface praisers of God, but bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's the way the Psalter ends. And let us praise the Lord with all of our breath breath, and all of our depth. Let us praise him broadly and praise him deeply. Christian, this morning, at the end of this year, praise the Lord with your whole being. Let nothing keep you from it. Let nothing hold you back from your service of praising God. Praise Him with your heart. Praise Him with your soul. Praise Him with your mind, with the thoughts that you have of Him. Praise you. Uh, praise Him with your strength, with your will, with your emotions, with everything. All that is within you. As we end this year and begin another, let us do so with that frame of mind. I know that some of you will stay up until midnight tonight in order to see the new year in. Try to remember what we're talking about now all the way until then. I know that's a long time to remember a sermon. 
Uh, but try to remember this so that um, as this year ends and the new one begins, that you move from one to the other, praising God with all that is within you. As we'll see, all of our blessings that we have are from him, and all of our life in Christ is blessing. So there's all the reason to, to bless him and to thank him and to praise him, because all of our life is, is a life of blessing lived out. Now, Sometimes that blessing looks like blessing. Sometimes we enjoy life. But at other times, life can be the pits. At other times, that blessing that is still a blessing is disguised as difficulty, trial and sickness and pain, discouragement, poverty, unemployment, loss of various kinds, besetting sins, lack of assurance, weakness of faith, and a million others. We just sang that song um, that God moves in a mysterious way, and it talked about a frowning providence. Sometimes God's providence in our lives can seem frowning when things are difficult. But, beloved, the soul that blesses the name of God, his holy name, remembers that it is all blessing. He remembers that verse that everyone has memorized, Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes we hear that so much that it can become almost trite, almost a throwaway line. And we say it and we go, yeah. That's what Romans 8.28 says. Don't forget Romans 8.28. But beloved, that is one of the greatest promises in Scripture, and it comes from God. No matter how many times you say it, it comes from God, and it is a truth of God. William Cowper, in that hymn that we sang back in 1773, said that behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. He works in all of these various ways to give his blessing to us. And so we should bless him for it. You might ask, how can I do that? How to bless God, especially when life doesn't feel like such a blessing? Well, the psalmist tells us here in verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's how we do it by not forgetting all of his benefits. Or as another hymn writer, writing about 100 years after William Cowper wrote the song we sang this morning, a guy named Jonathan Oatman, he wrote, count your blessings, name them one by one. Do you need help getting started to remember all of his benefits, to not forget them? Well, the psalmist helps us he gives us a short list to help us, short but inclusive. And I love that he does not simply want to remember the benefits, but remember that they are God's benefits to us. He uses the word who five times in connection with these benefits. We are to remember, beloved, that these come not by chance, 
not by serendipity, not by just the way things work out, not by your own doing, but through him. And we'll see why in in just a bit. But he lays them out here, beginning in verse 3. In verse 2, he says, forget not all his benefits. And then he delineates some of them. Who forgives all your iniquity is the first one. Let's just stop there for a moment. He starts right at the top, doesn't he? He forgives all your iniquity. He forgives all of your sins, Christian. That right there is enough to bless the Lord forever. To consider that he's forgiven you of all of your sins, every single one of them, past, present, and future. Elsewhere, the psalmist asks in Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Of course, the answer is no one. But he, God, in his great grace, through Christ, does not. He forgives all of your iniquities. Secondly, he says, who heals all of your diseases. Now, that can refer to spiritual diseases. Very often, the Bible speaks of God healing people from spiritual diseases, spiritual blindness, spiritual uh, death, deafness, and such. And God heals his people from that through the, the sovereign work of his spirit. And he does heal people physically in different ways through various means, natural, supernatural, as he pleases. And he sometimes withholds some of those things, some of those healings, when he knows it is better for us to not be healed spiritually or physically for a particular reason. Whatever our situation, he knows it is best for us. And faith believes that he knows. And we know that even in the case of physical diseases that are not healed now in this life, we know that in Christ we are healed after this life and destined for a place where there will be no sickness forever. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. The next one is that he redeems your life from the pit in verse 4. And that pit there is a reference to the grave. And notice that it's not he spares us from the pit. The grave is a destiny for all of us at some point. He doesn't spare us from the pit, but he redeems us from the pit. Again, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, even death, the last enemy, is conquered. And its sting is removed, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. So that for you, Christian, as the Heidelberg Catechism so wonderfully points out, death is not a penalty, but it's a passage to eternal life. And not only does he deliver us from negative things, which we've seen here so far, iniquity and diseases and a death, not only does he deliver us from those things, but he also bestows on us uh, the largesse of his favors, positive enrichment 
by his grace, another benefit which we must not forget. In fact, verse 4 goes on, it is God who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. See that term steadfast love here? For those of you who are regular attenders or members, you know what's coming next. That this is one of those key terms in this chapter, speaking of God's covenant faithfulness to his promises. It's a key term in this psalm. It's spoken of in verse 4 and verse 8 and verse 11 and verse 17, a reference to God's covenant, to his own trustworthiness in relation to it. He promises here that his people enjoy the benefits of his faithfulness. His faithfulness to his own promises to you, Christian. It's coupled with, the, with the, that term, and the use of that term is coupled with the fact that in this psalm, God is, without exception, referred to using his covenant name. The covenant God pours out his covenant blessings because of his covenant faithfulness on you, Christian. What a great thing to remember. What a great benefit to not forget. It comes to us through God's covenantal mercy that he has upon his sinful, weak creatures. And then finally, in this short but wonderful list, verse 5 says that he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Another picture of God's just refreshing grace, his ongoing benefit that he pours out upon us. See, we are told at the beginning and the end of this passage to bless the Lord, but it's only by remembering how much he has blessed us and continues to bless us. Something to remember. Beloved, by the grace of God, we have been restored to divine favor. Having been justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also been given that life which Christ came to give, eternal life, life abundant. That too is spoken of here. The abundant life is the the life of, of God given to us, satisfying us with good so that our youth, as it were, is renewed. God has willingly entered into covenant with us and made us his own. He has himself, in his own son, fulfilled all that we failed to fulfill. And he has blessed us where we deserve cursing because of our sin, because of our failure. And these are the benefits of God, physical and spiritual, that we should, each of us should reflect on. And I challenge you to reflect on them at some point this afternoon. Reflect on in our hearts and which will lead us to bless the Lord with our soul and all that is within us. As we go on into verses 6 through 18, the big chunk of, of the chapter here, we see God's faithfulness to his people uh, poured out or, or given to us in different ways. This praise and, and worship and the, and the cause for it just continues to blossom now as the psalmist 
first of all, from within, from uh, my soul and all that is within me, now begins to break out into praise externally. To, God's, to consider God's blessings not just on himself, but on his people, on God's people, on the church. And he gives examples to, to show us that. And he begins by remembering the attitude of God for his people in the past. We always look back. That's one of the reasons that we are given the Old Testament is to see how God has acted in the past to, to remind us of how he will act in the future. And he begins by saying in verse 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God always presents himself as having a, a special eye toward his people as they are oppressed. As his people were oppressed in Egypt for all those many years in the Old Testament. And it was in response to that that God especially showed his care for his people. The Exodus is a picture of God's interaction with and for his people, his redeeming of his people. A picture of his dealings with the church. They were under bondage. So were we, bondage to sin. God sent his messenger on his behalf, on their behalf. So he did for us with Christ. His power brought his people out of their bondage as it did for us through the work of our Lord. His judgment on evil in the Old Testament, in the, in the Exodus, in the Passover, as we've been looking at, was avoided by the application of the blood of the God-prescribed, spotless Passover lamb, as it was for us. And God continues, continued to lead his people, to protect his people, despite their ongoing sin, and brought them to the place that he had promised and prepared for them. Beloved, he does the same for us. We can be assured of that. So we see this, and it's all in demonstration of God's nature, which he expressed to Moses in words in Exodus 34, 6 that, that ended up becoming a kind of shorthand for the essence of how God deals with his people. And it gets repeated in Exodus and Numbers and, and Nehemiah and Joel and the Psalms. And the psalmist here quotes it directly in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What a statement that is. He's merciful, not pouring out on his people what they deserve. He's gracious. That's the other side of, of mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We don't deserve that, but it is yours, beloved, freely, without cost to you, a gift of God's free grace. He's patient, says he is slow to anger, patient towards our weaknesses, which we continue to have and which we continue to manifest. It is his mercy and his grace that continue toward us, God said in Malachi, and therefore you are not consumed. And he's faithful. 
He is, David says here in this psalm, abounding in steadfast love. There's that steadfast love again. There's God's faithfulness to his promises. Poured out on you, Christian, not because you're deserving, not because you're worthy, but because he has set his love upon you and has promised you that he would. He has imprinted you on the palms of his hands and he holds you in his hands and no one can snatch you from his hands, John wrote. And so, in all of this, we see that God is merciful, he is gracious, he is patient, he is faithful to his word and to his promises and to his nature. And for that, we should bless the Lord with all that is within us. God's love for his people. Another one of his his benefits is seen then also in verses 9 and 10. And in verses 9 and 10, we see two things that God does not do for which we should praise him and two things that he does do for which we should praise him. First, the things that he does not do. Again, we're talking about his mercy there. Look at verse 9. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. To chide means to strive against someone, to to accuse them. And that accusation is gone for us who are God's children. God deals with us according to his compassion. He does not continually criticize his people, we might say. In Isaiah 54, Uh, Verses 7 and 8, God put it this way. He said, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, our Redeemer. Or perhaps Psalm 30, verse 5, best echoes uh, what the psalmist here is trying to get at. It says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So that's the first thing that God does not do. He does not chide. He does not keep his anger forever. That anger has been spent. That anger has been exhausted. Where, you say? On the cross. His anger was poured out on his son so that it will not be poured out on you. The second thing that God does not do, and this is so wonderful, here at verse 10, we really now sort of have climbed to the top of this song. Look at verse 10 with me. Mentioned it earlier. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Wow, is there any act of God that should more arouse in us The confession, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, than this? Young people, old people, and everyone in between, make sure that you understand the greatness of verse 10, the greatness of this statement. There is no greater benefit which our God has bestowed on us than this, that he does not deal with you as you deserve to be dealt with, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And what that means is that for everyone who trusts him, he does not give us 
what we deserve for the sins that we have committed and do commit and will commit against Him. We don't receive what we should receive. Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul that sins shall die. Exodus 34.7 says that God will not leave the guilty unpunished. And Romans 6.23 tells us again that the wages of sin is death, eternal death. That's what we deserve. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. And God would be perfectly just to deal with us according to our sins. But he doesn't. Amen? As a gracious and merciful God, as the God of all mercy, having sent his Son and accepted his substitutionary sacrifice, he does not treat us as we really and truly deserve. Because the truth is that God has dealt with Christ according to your sins. And so he does not repay you according to your iniquities. So those are the two things that God does not do. But there's also two things, as I mentioned, that he does do. The psalmist presents those in terms of two special comparisons here. Uh, one kind of, we'll say one vertical and one horizontal, both of which magnify the grace of God and his mercy. The first one is that he extends his love to us. The first one speaks of the extent of his love and his faithfulness. It speaks of the scale of his grace in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth. How high are the heavens above the earth? Well, as far as you want to go, really. We really don't know where the, the edge of the universe, or even if the edge of the universe is, but according to what we know, if you traveled the speed of light, it would take you a mere 46 and a half billion years to get to the, the limits of what we, with our feeble sight, can see. But this is just a, a, an expression, a poetic expression, to consider how far, how great God's love and his faithfulness is to us. And again, it's his steadfast love, his covenant love, his faithfulness to his promises. This is the magnitude of God's love for you, Christian. And, and it is this which gives us the confidence that every promise of God is true that he will never forsake us, that no one can snatch us out of his Father's hand, as we talked about earlier, that he is with us and in us, that he will complete the work that he has begun in us, that he will return to take us to himself, and every single other thing that he has held out as a promise to you, people of God. We must not forget all his benefits because all of his benefits are assured to us because his steadfast love has been shown to us and because his steadfast love is as great as the heavens are high above the earth. And then coupled with that is verse 12, which speaks of the extent of his forgiveness. So we saw the scale of his grace. Now we see the scale again of his mercy. The degree to which Christ's sacrifice atones for us 
the totality to which he removes our transgressions from us. Verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. That is, when he sees us, he does not see our sin. He does not take it into account. Elsewhere, we're told that God casts our sins behind his back, Isaiah 38, 17, that he blots them out, Isaiah 43, 25, that he casts them into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19, and Jeremiah 31, 34 says that he remembers them no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your transgressions from you. Then verses 13 and 14. Give to us it really a more personal, relational way to remind us that God is worthy of praise from the inside, from the outside. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He has the most intimate relationship with us as a father to his children. That's the way God relates to us. And he has intimate knowledge of us. He remembers that we are dust. A fact which he then, the psalmist does, reflects on in verses 15 and 16. And speaks of it sort of from, from our side. As for man, his days are like grass. His, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over and it is gone and its place knows it no more. A reminder of our smallness, which is also good for us to be reminded of. Our temporary nature, our mortality. We're born, we live, we die. And for the most part, for most people, no one will miss us for long. Our possessions go to others. But this reminder serves to bring us around again to the point of the psalm in verse 17 and 18. Because he says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. For those who love God, it is, it is those who fear him with humble reverence that these things are true. For them, for us, Praise God for the fact brought out here one final time in verse 17 that the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future. And God works, continues working through his covenant, mentioned there about children's and children's children. To the generations to come, God raises up a people for himself. And for this glorious truth, beloved, we are to bless the Lord. In fact, we're reminded that God's rule is not just in our heart. It is not just in the church. But verse 19 says that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. He made it all. He set it down. He made it firm. And he is king over it all, over all of his creation. The sovereign rule of God is over all. And then the psalmist, in one last section here, speaks of praise from the creation. Specifically, his rational creation here. Because he is the great king above all kings and the one true God above all, 
because his throne is in heaven, because his kingdom rules over all, the praise given to him is to come from all of his rational creatures. Since God's dominion is universal, so must his praise be from every aspect of his creation. Again, a focus here on the rational creation. We began with the psalmist himself and his inner man, praising God and calling us to do the same. And that praise is is now coming from the inside out as the psalmist has expanded to a consideration of God's universal rule. And so it ends with a call to all of his rational creatures. Look at verses 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. We'll stop there. That's a call. Those are all calls to the angelic host to join with God's people as they give praise and worship to God. They're called angels, mighty ones, his hosts, his ministers who do his will. As messengers and as, as warriors and as his servants, they are all called to join in the blessing and worshiping God, the God of heaven. And we know that they do this always as they always behold his face, Matthew 18 says. But then finally, in great summation of this psalm, he says this, Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. That's us. Actually, all of creation is encompassed here. We know, but we know that the creation, Psalm 19 tells us, it is always crying out in praise to God. The only people, they owe, the only part of creation, rather, that seems to have a problem doing that is us. But we have this encouragement, people of God, to praise Him, to bless His holy name, to let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The psalmist calls to praise and worship, or his call to praise and worship has gone from inside our soul to the limits of time and space. And so, beloved, we see that our praise to God starts in here. To our covenant God for his covenant faithfulness. All of our lives are to be worship to God. But let us begin in the quiet and honest place of our hearts. And then let that praise resound. We like New Year's resolutions. Let me encourage each of you this morning to resolve in what's left of this year and into the new year to recall the record of God. Have it on your mind. Read it in God's Word. Another reason that we should be in God's Word is to be reminded of what God has done. But recall the work of God, of his faithfulness to you and to his word and to his promise. It's laid out for you in the Bible. That his record is absolutely perfect that he keeps his word. He cannot do otherwise. And then let me encourage you, dearly loved congregation, to resolve to not forget his benefits. Especially that he has not dealt with you as your sins deserve, but has sent his son to make you his son, his daughter. 
and let us resolve to praise him in all things from the inside out. Let us resolve to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And to that, let us say, Amen. Father, we praise you. We bless you. We bless you because of who you are. We praise you because of what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do because of your faithfulness, O God. We are not consumed because of the fact that you are the same yesterday and today and and forever. We know that no one can snatch us out of your hand, that you will not lose any that you have deemed to bring to yourself. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remember these things and to praise you for them, to bless you, O God. And as we go from this year into the next, Lord, help it to just be a point where we begin more and more to praise your name, for you are worthy to receive it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.